All right, good morning. It's good to see you. Praise the Lord. All right, so uh, you got me this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Eric. I'm the um, worship director here at Midtown and, and one of the teaching elders. Our senior pastor, Pastor Sam, he's, he's not here this morning. He is uh, preaching out in Lee Summit, okay? So we need to be in prayer for him. Um, and so I'm going to be sharing with you from the word this morning, and, and we got some work to do. If you've seen your, you've seen your handout, um, we got some ground to cover, okay? Can y'all hear me clearly? Yeah. We're good? Okay. All right, well then let's pray, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get, get going. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, because you are worthy. No one else is, Lord. And um, you deserve our everything because you gave everything, Lord. And so we just want to praise you. I, I pray for your word this morning, that you'd set me aside, that your word would go forth in power, that you teach us, make us more like you, Lord. I pray for Pastor Sam as he is, is teaching and preaching in Lee Summit. Father, I pray for our teaching elders, our pastors, people in Kit Town, teachers in Kit Town, Lord, uh, our ministry workers. Father, that you would get the glory out of our lives this morning. Uh, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would come to know you in the pardon of their sins, Father. So we just commit this morning to you. Have your way in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so to kind of frame the topic this morning, I'm going to start with the, something that happened to me many years ago. Okay, so I went to a friend's house for a birthday party. And a young lady had baked a beautiful chocolate cake. Anybody like chocolate cake in here? Is it just me? Okay, the spirit is moving. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, I love chocolate cake. I do. And the cake looked delicious. Um, and it, it didn't look too hard or too mushy. And I like it when my, I like my cake to be like just the right amount of moisture in it, you know, and you just slice it and it's got the icing on it. Some of y'all are like, I'm getting me some cake after, after today. Um, and so I couldn't wait, got me a slice, and uh, I took a bite. And it was one of those moments where from the first bite, you know something's wrong. <laughs> Something is very wrong, okay? And it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I don't want to be offensive, but there is no way I'm swallowing this. <laughs> there is no way I'm swallowing this, okay? And so I'm like, let me find me a napkin. So, but then I look around, and everybody else is having the same reaction, okay? So I'm like, all right, it's not me. It's not, it's not, it's not anything, just me, okay? Now, come to find out, the, uh, the, the, the young lady had mistakenly substituted salt for sugar. <laughs> oh, yes, I know, listen, listen, listen. It was a rough experience, okay? It was a rough experience, and so, you know, it, it, sugar's one of those key ingredients, right? Like, you might be able to mess up on a few other things, but you gotta get that right in the chocolate cake, in any cake. You gotta get it right. So you see where I'm going with this. There are certain things that are just critical, critical ingredients. And so the title of the message this morning is, is The Essentials of Worship. What are the key ingredients that you have to have? in order to get it right, what, what needs to be present. And so I want to take perhaps a different look this morning, okay? I know that uh, and we, we, will, we, will, we, we will reference Genesis 22 and, and John 4, but our base text, okay, is we're going to look at the essentials of worship 
through the lens of someone who got it wrong at first. Through the lens of someone who was disobedient. And we're gonna see what we can learn this morning, okay? Do y'all have, is the, is the uh, do we have the presentation? Is it coming, okay. Oh, glory, won't he do it, amen, okay. Um, so it's gonna be in First Chronicles 21. If you, if you have your Bibles, please be turning with me to First Chronicles 21. You are going to need your Bibles, okay? I got verse references up there, but you're gonna have to refer to your Bible. Um, to read the passage with me. Now let me give you the sort of the background of what take, what's taking place. This is, this is uh, later on in David's life. He's been reigning on the throne. He's been a king for quite some time and it's actually towards the end of his life, okay? And so we're gonna walk through this passage and see the essentials that we need for worship. And so let's just take it, pick it up in, in 1 Chronicles 21, verse one, okay? Uh, this section that we're looking at is called Worship Hindered. Remember I told you we're gonna look at from the life of somebody who was disobedient. So Worship Hindered, okay, verses, verse one. Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, the Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be, but my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Now, you got to understand what God had commanded to know why this is so, why this is such um, a sinful request. Because it's like, what's the big deal? He's just numbering the people. Why is that an issue? Well, if you go over to Exodus chapter 30, God tells you why it's an issue, okay? The Lord spake, Exodus chapter 30, verse 11, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, when thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them when thou numberest them. So it's like, okay, you, gotta, you have to collect a ransom and you have to do this so that there is no plague among them. And as you study this subject out, what you, what you, what you understand is that numbering the people, that's, that, that if, you, if they do it and it wasn't commanded by God, it's evidence that they were trusting in their own numbers. So let me see how many soldiers I got. Let me see how many young boys I got. Let me see how many people I got. Let me, let me step back and just admire what I've built. And God's whole point is that Israel's mine, not yours. So you got to be careful. And he tells them, hey, if you don't do this, right, there's going to be a plague among you. It's clear. So then when Joab comes and says, hey, what are you doing this? Like, why are you causing Israel to commit a trespass? Okay. So a census put Israel at risk of plague because a census, a numbering of the people signified ownership. This spoke against God's ownership of Israel because in their thinking, a man only had the right to count or number what belonged to him. So David doing this is a pretty significant trespass. Israel didn't belong to David. Israel belonged to God. It was up to the Lord to command accounting and God hadn't done it. And so you can see that, that, that David's motive was one of pride. Okay, now in, in back over in 1 Chronicles 21, you can see that Joab, he, he, he objects, and rightly so. Now, let me just point this out. If you know Joab, okay, Joab's got questionable morals, okay? He's a guy that operates in the gray, and sometimes he's just flat-out rebellious, okay? So when, when, when someone, when the most carnal person on your leadership team comes to you and tells you you're wrong, that, that lets you know you, you're, 
you're out there pretty bad, okay? Joab is the guy you go to like when you're ready to get into mischief and you know ain't nobody else gonna agree to it but Joab, right? You go to Joab, Joab's like, yeah, we'll do it. Come on, let's go. Joab was always down for mischief. Now Joab, is, Joab has the moral high ground here, okay? That's how bad this is, okay? Joab's like, why are you gonna do this? Even I wouldn't do this. <laughs> okay, um, now verse, verses four through seven, You can see that, uh, verse 4, Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed, went throughout all Israel, and came to Jerusalem. So Joab goes, and he does this. Now, look at what what, what happens, verse 7. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he smote Israel. So God isn't happy. God had made his will very clear. So we know worship is being hindered in David's life right now because his actions, David's actions, they were not in line with God's word. And so this gives you, excuse me, worship is essential number one. Here it is. All worship begins with God's word. All worship begins with God's word. And I'll prove it to you. Go over to Genesis 22. Here it is right there. Go over to Genesis 22. Now, you know, this is a hallmark passage on worship because inside Genesis 22 is the first mention of the word worship in your Bible. Okay, so there's that principle, that law of first mention, that how it's used tells you how it's going to be used throughout Scripture. And so you have the first mention of worship. And typically, what we point to is Genesis 22.5, where Abraham said to the young man, abide ye here with the, the young man. He tells him to abide there with the ass. And he says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. And so when you hear this passage taught, it's, we talk about the cost of worship and that worship requires a sacrifice, and I agree with all of that, okay? I agree with all of that, but look at verse 2. Start in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, God said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, remember Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall tell thee of. So what you see is God commanding something. The worship starts with God's word. Otherwise, I mean, who wakes up in the morning, okay, this is how I'm going to worship God today. I'm going to sacrifice my son right? Like, you try that today. If you pull it off, we're going to lock you up and we're going to seek the death penalty, okay? It's not worship. It's worship here because God commanded it. It's worship here because God commanded it. So God's word has to provide the parameters for what is acceptable and what he will receive in worship and what he won't receive. That's the part I want you to understand. God's word has to provide the parameters. And then I give you some references in Psalms. Let's look at those real quick. Psalm 51, 7. This is not all inclusive, but um, 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Okay, so that's what God is looking for. Broken spirit, broken and contrite heart. Psalm 95, verse 1 and 2. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. And then you drop down to verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. 
Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And you see that throughout the Old Testament. People, when God shows up, people bowing down, but you see it commanded too. Psalm 107. Verse 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. We sung about that. And declare his works with rejoicing. And then for comprehensive, instrumental. Okay. Psalm 150. Praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament of his power, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with the psaltery and harp, praise him on the timbrel and dance, praise him with the string instruments and organs, praise him upon the loud cymbals, praise him upon the high sounding cymbals, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. God's word gives you the parameters. And so the next point is the reason why worship is being hindered in David's life is because he's violating God's word. Now, I want you to think about that in the context of your own life. Is there anything in your life that's hindering worship? Any area of your life where God has said he wants something and you said no. That's hindering worship. And so let's talk about worship essential number two. Outside of God's word, the second most essential ingredient to worship is obedience to God's word. Obedience. If you don't have God's word and you don't have obedience, you don't have worship. You don't have it. God's word orients you to what is right. It tells you what God expects. And then obedience, it, it conforms and submits you to God's word. Now, this isn't in your notes, but there's something I came across while I was studying this out, and that there's, this, there's a transformative aspect to worship. You become like what you worship. And that's true of anything you worship. You become like it. Psalm 115 and that should scare you if you're worshiping the wrong things. Psalm 115, verses 1 through 8. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Here it is, verse 4. Psalm 115, verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. And here it is, verse 8. They that make them are what? Like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. See, what you worship is having an impact on you, whether you know it or not. Psalm 135, verse 18. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. And then Isaiah 44, verse 19. None considereth in his heart Neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say I have burned part of it in the fire 
God speaking about idolaters and how they don't understand the folly. Yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? Verse 20, he feedeth on ashes. And here it is, a deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? There's a lie in my right hand, this thing that I'm holding on to. It's a lie. So worship essential number three, growing in your capacity to worship is all about growing in your capacity to obey. Growing in your capacity to worship is all about growing in your capacity to obey. So where there is a command from God, there is an opportunity for worship. Where there is a command from God, there is an opportunity for worship. What does God, what does Jesus say? John 14, 15. If ye love me, do what? Keep my commandments. That's love. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And so we grow in our capacity to worship when we grow in our capacity to give up that which is not pleasing to God. You give up that which is not pleasing to God. And I need you to hear me on this. What you are not willing to do is just as important as what you are willing to do. What you are not willing to do, the stuff you won't give up, that's just as important as what you are willing to do. So it's like, okay, I'm willing to go do all these things for the Lord, okay, but I got this stuff over here that I'm holding on to that I'm not willing to give up. And God says, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. Let's talk about what you're refusing to let go of. 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ do what? Depart from iniquity. Depart from iniquity. So let's look at a case study, because I think this is, this is probably one of the best examples of worship going wrong. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'll give you a little time to get there. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Oh, I hear the pages turning. Amen. Hallelujah. Doesn't that sound beautiful? You know what they should do? They should do that on an app. They should have that sound, shouldn't they? <laughs> Can I copyright that? I'm checking the faces out. If I see anybody use my idea. Sounds beautiful. All right. 1 Samuel 15, God comes and he's got instructions for King Saul. 1 Samuel 15, chapter 2, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Okay, so here is the opportunity for worship. God just told you what to do. Your job is to go do it. 
Here's the problem, verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refused, that they destroyed utterly. We got a problem. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and have not performed my commandments. He didn't worship. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And so Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Saul's like, I did it. Look at all this stuff I did over here. All the stuff I killed. You know the problem, right? It was all the stuff he was holding on to. He says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And I just love this verse 14. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? God told you to kill everything. So why do I still hear those animals? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best. Now Saul won't even take, he won't even take ownership. Now he's blaming the people. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. We did most of it. We did most of it. Now drop down to 18. This is what I call the school of worship. These next few verses, okay? Because Samuel's getting ready to, he's getting ready to break out some tutelage for Saul, okay, on what real worship is, okay? Verse 18, and the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. It's not registering for Saul yet. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, here it is, half the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Okay, so this is, this is the school of worship. To obey is better. What God is looking for from worshipers is obedience. So if you've got besetting sins and struggles in your flesh that you haven't given up, you better be praying about it daily. You better be fasting about it. You better be going to the Lord about it. The last thing you should be thinking is I'm just going to hold on to it. Because that's what Saul did. Okay. Now this is heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff, but I've got some good news for you, okay? We're just going to keep reading in 1 Chronicles. You're going to leave. You're going to leave having all this worked out, okay? Just stick with me. If you're struggling with obedience, you're in good company because that was David's problem. That was David's problem, but let's keep reading, all right? So this next section back over in 1 Chronicles 21, is we're going to title this section, Worship Resumed. 
Verse 8, and David said unto God, I have sinned greatly. So God smites Israel in verse 7, okay? David says, unto, so the plague happens. So David recognizes his sin. He says, verse 8, I've sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Okay, so repentance, you're turning away from sin and you're turning towards God. You're bowing your heart before him. You're acknowledging your sin. You're acknowledging your sin. And so get this, this is worship essential number four. True repentance is a necessary part of worship for anyone who struggles with sin. It's a necessary part. God hates sin, but he loves repentance. God hates sin, but he loves repentance. And so that's your opportunity this morning. The right response to sin is to repent. So what is it that brings God glory after you messed up? Repentance. What is the evidence of a humbled heart that's bowed before the Lord? Repentance. That's your opportunity to worship. Ezekiel 33. Verses 10 and 11. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel, thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? And then over in Job, I love this. Now, if you know the story of Job, you know Job was, was, was hit with a lot of calamity and a lot of suffering. It was, he suffered greatly, okay? And as you read the book of Job, you find out Job is crying out, and he's basically justifying himself. His friends are accusing him of some great sin, but in Job's position is, I've not done anything wrong. I don't deserve this. That's Job's position. And so Job still has something to learn. Job still has something to learn because he, he's, he's demanding a, a meeting from God. Like if God would just show up, I'd ask him all these questions and then God does show up. And God's like, okay, where were you when, when I created everything? In other words, he, he asked them all these questions to say, who are you to question me and what I'm doing? And so let's look at, 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 at Job's final response. Job 42, 6, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I would argue this was the most worshipful moment for Job in the entire book. Because he humbles himself before the Lord. And so when you examine David's life, you can't miss his frailty as a human. He made a lot of mistakes. He made a lot of mistakes, and some of those mistakes were very costly, such as this one, because 70,000 people in Israel end up dying for this mistake. God judges them, and 70,000 people end up dying. But you also have to acknowledge that David practiced repentance. When the Lord brought something to his attention, he owned it, he repented, he humbled himself. He practiced repentance. Now, David still has to deal with the consequences of sin. Go back over to 1 Chronicles 21. 
Okay, he's got to deal with the consequences of his sin. And the Lord spake unto Gad, First uh, Chronicles 21, 9, and the Lord spake unto Gad, David, see here, saying, go and tell David, thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things, choose thee one of them that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, thus saith the Lord, choose thee either three years of famine, three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even in pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coasts of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that, that, that sent me. And so uh, God is going to judge the sin and he's going to punish, okay? And you keep reading, you find out that David says, I, you know, um, I'll let you choose, God. I'll let you choose, okay? And, and so it ends up being, being, being three, three days of pestilence and 70,000 people die. And so the consequences of sin are what God uses to help us to understand the gravity of our sin. It helps us to understand the gravity of our sin. The greater the consequence, the more you understand how serious it is. But here's the thing. It is important even in dealing with the consequences of sin that we seek to stay in fellowship with God. You stay in fellowship with God. And so David, even in dealing with the consequences of his sin, he's still communing with the Lord. He's still in prayer with the Lord. So are you being chastened? You might be. That happens. Stay in prayer. Stay in communion with the Lord. Now let's look at this last section, worship received. Verse 18, and the angel of the Lord commanded Gad and said to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor by Arnon the Jebusite. And the angel went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And so here it is, the angels come out, 70,000 people have died. And then God's response is to invite David to sacrifice and worship to him. That's good news. God desires our fellowship with him even after we've messed up. You see that? See, our tendency is to run and hide, isn't it? You mess up, you want to run and hide. God moves to draw us back to him. Now, if you were God, you wouldn't have handled it that way. Somebody disobeyed your command, right? You'd be ready with the lightning bolt. But God comes and he says, tell David to go sacrifice. There's an invitation to worship here. There's an invitation to worship. And the wrong mindset is the one that says, I don't deserve to worship because what I, look at what I've done. And, and I, I hear that from time to time. Man, I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like worshiping because look at what I've done. Well, it's not about what you've done. It's about what Christ did. It's about what Christ did. And so this is worship essential number five. God deserves our worship because he is worthy, not because we are. Not because we are, because he's worthy. And so repentance is where you would start. And God will receive that as obedience to his word and as worship. And so if you've truly repented, you move forward in faith. 
You know, you read the story about the Samaritan woman. She didn't deserve to worship over in John chapter 4. You study this, 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 Jesus is at the well. This woman comes to the, to the well and she comes by herself, with, which, which in that culture suggests that she was living a life, a shameful lifestyle because typically the women come together, right? And you find out that uh, she was living the life of a prostitute, basically. You know, and Jesus says, um, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. And you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not yours. And yet... He invites her to worship, doesn't he? He came to that well seeking her to invite her to worship. To invite her to worship. Over in John chapter 4, he gives her an amazing truth too. John chapter 4 verse 23 but the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. This amazing truth that God the Father is seeking worshipers. He's looking for it. And back over in 1 Chronicles, even after David messes up, he invites him into it. He invites him into it. So no one deserves to worship God, but the work of Christ makes it possible for you to worship. So you look to what Christ has done, not what you did, what Christ has done. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So David purposes to worship in sacrifice to the Lord. Now let's pick it up because we get, a, we get some, 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 some great truth as we see how David approaches this. God gives him this invitation to come and worship, and now David obeys. Over in 1, Samuel 20, 1 Chronicles 21, uh, look at verse 21. 1 Chronicles 21, 21. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it to me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, take it to thee and let my Lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee oxen also for the burnt offerings and the threshing instruments for wood and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. So Ornan wants to, to honor David because he knows David's king, right? So Ornan's like, you don't have to buy this from me. I'll give you everything you need. I'll give you the threshing floor and I'll give you all the sacrifices that you need. This, this will cost you nothing, David. Verse 24, and King David said to Ornan, nay, but I will verily buy it for thee for the full price. Look at that, the full price. For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. And so this is worship essential number six. True worship is expressed through a desire to give that which is most costly. In other words, we falter in worship when we look for the cheapest way to please God. We falter in worship when we look for the cheapest way to please God. Let me see, how can I pull this off so that I don't have to sacrifice too much? How can I work this? 
How can I work my giving so that I don't have to give too much? Okay. Now, this was not going to be a message on giving, okay? But I decided a long time ago, tithe from gross, not net. Tithe from gross, not net. God gave it. God gave it, and he's worthy of that sacrifice. So I'm not looking for the cheapest way to please God. And we got examples to consider. The widow's offering over in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he, also, he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. So you got the rich people and they're casting all their gifts and it looks great. And you got this poor widow, she just puts in two mites. And he says, of a truth, this is Jesus, of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast unto the offerings of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. That's worship. That's worship. That's the heart of a true worshiper. How can I give it all? How can I give that which is most costly? Then you have the story of the alabaster box. Over in Mark chapter 14. And verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at meat. And there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, a spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation with themselves, within themselves, and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And this is what Jesus said. Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? For she hath wrought a good work on me. For ye, the poor ye have with you always, and, and, and whensoever ye will, ye will, ye may do them good, but ye have me not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body in the burying. Verily I say unto you, wherever soever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken for a memorial of her. Now, I, wanna get, I just want to kind of help you to understand what just took place here because they say, you know, this, this, this alabaster box could have been sold for more than 300 pence. That probably means nothing to you, right? You're like, I know it's expensive, but what does that mean, okay? So let's talk about alabaster real quick. It was a type of stone that would have likely come from Egypt. It resembles marble, but is much softer than marble. Now, the ointment, the spikenard, it, it, it's very precious. And it's noted that it could have been sold for 300 pence. Now, one pence would have been a day's worth of wages. 300 pence would have been more than 10 months' worth of wages. So that box would have been worth no less than $24,000 in today's economy. That's some expensive perfume. Now, I will tell you, the Middle East has us beat on fragrances, y'all. We don't have anything on them, okay? I went to Kuwait this year. This was my second time going. I went to Kuwait back in 2015 for my friend's wedding, and 
it was, it was, it was the evening of the wedding and we're preparing and, and Muhammad comes to me and he, and I, you know, you, if you know me, you know I like cologne, okay? And some of y'all think I wear too much cologne, okay? But I just wanna tell you, I don't wear that much cologne. Not in the Middle East, not in Kuwait, okay? So, I, you know, I, I got my cologne on and Muhammad comes to me, Eric, you know, do you have your cologne? I was like, yeah, I got it on. He was like, okay, Eric, I'll help you, I'll help you. <laughs> One second. So he goes, he comes back with three different bottles of cologne, okay? It's like, okay, stand still. <laughs> Turn around. Okay, that's the first bottle. And he picks up the other two, okay. Here we go. Like all around, turn around. Okay, now you're ready. I tell you what though, it wasn't just me. That whole wedding, beautiful. The aroma, everybody, everybody. That was the best smelling wedding. Oh. This year I was, so when I went to Kuwait this year, I like to buy fragrances, okay? And I went into one store and it's out of the corner of my eye, a little bitty bottle. Okay, price tag, $1,400. for a bottle, it's a little itty bitty bottle, okay? Now, okay, so what I'm telling you is that when she broke this box, I know it filled the house and it probably filled the street too, okay? This was some potent stuff. This was some good cologne, okay, some good perfume. And so this is a sacrifice, she gives the best she had. And Jesus is worthy of that sacrifice. Jesus is worthy of it. And you, if you're looking at your notes, I think I put something in there about trash offerings, okay? Uh, God does not want the trash offerings. And he calls them out in Malachi, okay? He calls it out. Okay, this is what he says. Malachi chapter 1, verse 12. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, behold, what a weariness it is. Ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn, and the lame and the sick. Thus she brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and voweth and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. So back over in, in 1 Chronicles, God has invited David to sacrifice. David acknowledges that he can't offer something that doesn't cost him anything, and he says, I want to pay full price for it, okay? So he pays full price. Now let's go back over there. And God accepts the sacrifice, verse 25, 1 Chronicles 21, 25. So David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord and he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of the burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel and he put up his sword into the sheath thereof. And so, so, so God accepts David's sacrifice and he stops the judgment. You can see that after David makes his offering, that's when the angel puts his sword away. That's when the angel puts his sword away. Now what happens in verses 27 through 30 is you get a description 
You get a description of what was going on in David's mind. And the Lord commanded the angel, verse 27, and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. At that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord which Moses made in the wilderness and the altar of the burnt offerings were at that season in the high places of Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Okay, so David wants to do, he wants to make this sacrifice. He wants to make this sacrifice, and, and ideally he would do it, he would go um, to, to where the, uh, the place where the tabernacle is. But he's looking at this angel with the sword drawn, because God isn't done yet, okay? The sword, isn't, the, sword, the sword isn't put away because God is still dealing with David, and so David's like, I gotta do something now. I need to be urgent. I've got to do something now. I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to get right with the Lord now. I've got to worship now. And so this is worship essential number seven. True worshipers possess a desire and urgency to worship now, not at some future time in some other place. I've got to do it now. Whatever God's calling me to, it's got to happen now. I can't put it off till tonight. Can't put it off till tomorrow, next week when I meet with the pastor. I got to do it now. That's what was happening. God deserves our worship now. So I've heard worship defined as anything you do to obey, honor, and exalt God that requires your personal sacrifice. That's a definition that I've heard, okay? I'll read that again. It's not in your notes. If you want to write it down, you can. Anything you do to obey, honor, and exalt God that requires your personal sacrifice. I would agree with that definition, but if I had to put it in simpler terms, I would say worship is obedience to God's word. That's what it looks like. It looks like your life and my life being completely and totally conformed to the will of the Father. That's when God gets maximum glory. What did the wisest man that ever lived, what did he have to say about worship? Go over to Ecclesiastes. This isn't in your notes. Bonus material, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Solomon, wisest man that ever lived. He gives you the conclusion. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Conclusion of the matter, worship. Conclusion of the matter, obey God's word. Worship. Let's go ahead and have the worship team come up. Every head bowed and every eye closed. every head bowed and every eye closed. The call this morning is to worship. And perhaps that means repentance for you. Maybe it means surrender in some area of rebellion. Maybe it means confession. Maybe it means asking to be forgiven. I don't know what it means for you, but I wanna, I wanna pray for you. And in praying for you, I, I've got a question for you. Is there anybody here that would say, pray for me because there are areas of my life where I know my worship is being hindered?
I want to pray for you. See your hands. Pray for me. There are areas of my life where I know my worship is being hindered. Okay, yes, I see your hands. 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 There are areas of my life. Yes, in the balcony, I see your hands. There are things that are preventing me from worship, worshiping that I need to deal with. Now, is there anyone that would say, I, I don't know how to worship because I don't even know if I know God? I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? Pray for me. I don't even know if I, 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 I don't know if I know how to worship because I don't even know if I know God. I want to pray for you. So we talked about urgency. And if God's dealing with your heart today, I'm going to pray and you're going to have an opportunity to, to, to get it right. Remember, God hates sin, but he loves repentance. He does. He loves it. He loves it because it represents a decision to conform to his word. And so after I pray, if you, if you need counsel, if you want to make a decision, put a marker down, we're going to have people down front to pray with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word that teaches us, Lord, that corrects us, that molds us, that draws us back to you, Lord. Thank you for, for pursuing us, for reaching out to us in our disobedience, for still desiring worship from those that don't deserve to worship you. And thank you for making a way through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, that we can worship. And so I pray for those that raise their hands, Father, that you strengthen them to obey, to repent. There's things in, in their lives, Lord, that they need to set down, Father, that you, you'd, you'd enable them to do that, Father. And for those that don't know you today, Lord, that they would talk with the person that, that brought them or um, come down front and talk to a counselor, Lord, to, to find out what it means to know you and to be able to worship in spirit and in truth, Father. You've made a way for us to do that. And so we, we, we want to make space and make time, Lord, and say thank you. Thank you for your goodness. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.